Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Andy Joseph. He is General Manager at Processing Solutions. Andy's been on the program before, kind of way back when, as part of Apex Supercritical. But we're going to talk to him a little bit about the evolution of the business, some of the work they've been doing, kind of rounding out their offerings, really kind of tackling this whole extracting technology side of the cannabis industry. For those people who know cannabis, you know, it's an important part of the whole chain of how we go go from kind of the raw plant material to the products that are actually on the shelf. So with that, Andy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so it was a couple of years ago since the last time we did one of these. Yeah, yeah. And well, so, and, and kind of let's start there. I mean, I, a lot has happened over the last two years. Um, I guess catch people up a little bit. You know, where, where did things start? I mean, we last spoke, Apex Supercritical was really focused on CO2 extraction and, and your background and building these quite sophisticated machines and, and getting into the cannabis space with them. Since then, you've done a lot of work, <laughs> both in terms of technology and in terms of business. And, you know, it sounds like there's been some kind of acquisitions and opportunities to kind of bring in some other technologies. So kind of 
to give us the story and then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the last year or so. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll probably start, you know, since the last time we talked a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, you know, Apex Supercritical has, has always been focused on CO2 as an extraction solvent, let's call mm-hmm. it. And, you know, when you're a private company, you're limited in resources. The ability to expand into to all things for everybody is, is really not, uh, in my personal opinion, it's not a good business strategy, right? You have yeah. to stay focused on the things you can do. So we've, we've always been focused on CO2 and, and we've resisted the urge, in particular last year, we've resisted the urge to dive into the ethanol side of the things, even though ethanol was just going crazy last year, in yeah. particular with kind of the, the CBD bubble, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've always stayed focused on CO2, but, you know, going back even to probably before we had our last conversation, I've always felt that consolidation is the right thing to do from a business standpoint, from a customer standpoint, right? It's really what needs to happen. So if you kind of look at the industry over the last two, maybe even three years, but certainly the last two years, our customers, Apex Supercritical's customers have been consolidating. So you know, we're seeing little guys get bought up by big guys, some little yeah. guys becoming big guys, other people kind of just unfortunately not being able to manage the business and, and folding. But none, nonetheless, we're seeing a, a significant consolidation effort going on here, right? And so as we see our customers consolidating and we're talking to them, we say, well, in my opinion, it's becoming pretty obvious. They want to buy from somebody who looks like them, right? Imagine you're setting up a processing uh, operation, a manufacturing facility for cannabinoids, and you got 18 different pieces of equipment in there to accomplish your processing solution. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to buy from 18 independent, discrete companies, right? If something breaks, you got to call this guy, all oh, that piece broke, no, I got to call that guy, yeah. right? The transaction 18 times, right? It's just, it's not the right way to do it. As our customers are consolidating, they want to buy from a consolidated supplier, right? So, you know, I've been kind of passionate about and looking for the opportunity to consolidate on equipment technologies. So about a year ago, in August of last year, Apex Supercritical was acquired by Gibraltar. Now, Gibraltar is interesting, Gibraltar Industries. They're a billion-dollar publicly traded corporation on NASDAQ, uh, ROCK is the ticker. And Gibraltar had acquired a couple of companies back in 2016 and 2017. Those companies were RBI, which is uh, Rao Brothers, greenhouse manufacturer, Mm -hmm. and then subsequently Nexus, which is another greenhouse manufacturer. And so they approached us as Apex Supercritical and said, hey, we're building these greenhouses. We've got growing solutions, and we're in the cannabis space, as well as vegetables and ornamental flowers and things like that. Okay. But you know we're, we're talking to our customers, and we're, we're building out grows and, and growing solutions for them. But there's kind of this box that we're designing into these greenhouse structures and these, these growing facilities for processing. We don't really know what goes in that box, but yeah. we'd, we'd like to start being able to fill that box for our customers. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, you know what? I know exactly what goes in that box. You know, this, <laughs> this, this seems like a pretty good partnership here. So they said, you know, they, we don't really want to partner, you know, much to my partial dismay and partial <laughs> Yeah. excitement. Um, yeah. they, they didn't want to partner. They wanted to buy us. I'm yeah. like, okay, all right, cool. So let's do it. So yeah. in, in August of last year, Gibraltar and through RBI purchased Apex Supercritical mm-hmm. and really kicked off the beginning of a consolidation strategy, right? Because I said, it. you know, look, here's what goes in that box. It's not just CO2. It's not just ethanol. It's not just hydrocarbon. It's not just post-processing. Right, it's going to be different for each customer, yeah. and creating an agnostic solution. Right, we don't want to care 
which technology that customer wants to put in there. We want to give them the best technology for their problem. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's what needs to happen. They said, okay, cool. So let's start it. So in February of this year, Gibraltar purchased Delta Separations, which is an ethanol equipment manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you can see, we're starting to round out the portfolio yeah. to, to complete all of the, the I'm going to call them popular extraction solvents that are being utilized <laughs> in the cannabis and hemp space right now. Uh-huh. So as we complete this consolidation, unfortunately, the COVID stuff has put stuff, put on a little bit on yeah, hold. Sure. So it's not going quite as quickly as I would hope, but, you know, nothing is with COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every, everyone's <laughs> having that problem. Yep. So, but as we move forward, the real benefit of this thing is we take processing solutions, right? And that's, that's kind of a temporary name that we're using right now until we come mm-hmm. up with a, you know, the full, brand, uh, the full yeah. acquisitions and a new brand. But, you know, processing solutions, the goal is to be a consolidated agnostic supplier of processing solutions for the industry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the conversation has shifted. The, the conversation shifted significantly in the industry. So imagine two years ago when a customer would call Apex Supercritical and they say, hey, I'm looking at getting into, you know, making CBD, CBD distillate or I want to get into making edibles for marijuana. Yeah. We would say, great, we've got a solution for you that for that. And the solution is CO2. Yeah. And they'd say, well, why would I pick CO2 over ethanol? And we'd say, well, you know, there's pros and cons, but most of the time ethanol is not going to be able to do this. CO2 is going to be great for that. You know, right, wrong, and different, all we had to offer was CO2. Yeah. Same thing for our competitors. All they had to offer was ethanol or hydrocarbon, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the customer, it really, really wasn't fair because depending on who they're calling, they're getting a different story. Yeah, it's kind of a bias because of the, the product and the expertise that that particular company has. Exactly. Yeah. And so removing that bias, becoming truly agnostic because we can offer all solutions, yeah. right, becomes a huge differentiator for us as a business. But more importantly, it becomes a huge benefit to the customer because now they can yeah. call us and they, they can see, hey, look, I'm going to get this straight answer from these guys. I know they don't care which one I buy. As long as I buy one of them, they yeah. don't care which one it is, right? And so yeah. now our conversations aren't about why CO2 is better than ethanol. Our conversations are about why CO2 might be the most appropriate choice for them based on their current business environment, or yeah. why ethanol might be the most appropriate for the type of thing that they're going to make, or why yeah. hydrocarbon is a better way to make that particular product that they're trying to put into a recreational mm-hmm. dispensary. Completely different conversation than trying to outsell a different technology. Yeah. Yeah, battle of technologies versus let's just figure out what your needs are and we'll apply the right the right tech based on the situation. Exactly, exactly. And that's yeah. really what, you know, Gibraltar and, and, you know, this vision for a consolidated offering is bringing to the table. And we're the first, right? So, yeah. you know, there, there's one other public company who's done something similar. And that's uh, the Scott's miracle Grow company. They bought or created Hawthorne and focused kind of in a similar arrangement on more of the, the hydroponic and fertilizer growing side of things. So not so much equipment construction projects, greenhouses, but rather the smaller scale hydroponic solutions and grow lights and fertilizers and things like that. So they kind of led the pack as being the first public company to jump in on this consolidated ancillary equipment offering. We're, we're the second to do it in the, in the whole cannabis space, but the first to do it in the extraction and processing world. There's really one other company that uh, has, has taken a similar approach. That's the Scott's miracle Grow company. You know, they started Hawthorne and acquired a couple of other companies in, in lighting and uh, hydroponic hydroponic growing solutions. So, you know, from a public company entering the cannabis ancillary equipment space, they were the first. Mm-hmm. But Gibraltar is the first to really focus specifically on processing solutions. So processing yeah. and, and refinement of cannabinoids. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the kind of processing technology a little bit. And then I want to come back to kind of the, the business side and, and and dig into what you've kind of learned from the what's going on in the market and the consolidation process. So from a technology point of view, give us kind of a high level breakdown of the CO2 versus 
versus ethanol versus hydrocarbon? And is, are there other things out there that are people are using? And, and where they kind of apply? Because I know that, you know, like everything in life, there's trade-offs. Right? Sure. Like there's, you know, there, there's always kind of, well, I can do it different ways, but it kind of depends on what my final product is and maybe what the kind of the parameters of uh, that I'm working with are. Give us a quick rundown on these different options that people have. Sure. Probably the biggest thing to, to remember is that there really isn't quote-unquote universal solvent, right? There's nothing that, there isn't one solution or one solvent that's better than the others across yeah. the board. And anybody who tells you that is self-serving, lying, or just flat out wrong. <laughs> Trying to sell you something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the cold hard reality is there are there are multiple different ways to skin the cat. And, you know, I like to refer to this process as cannabinoid manufacturing, right? So what, mm-hmm. what we're doing, you know, and even from the growing standpoint, we're manufacturing cannabinoids. They could be THC, CBD, CBN, CBG, mm-hmm. right? But we're manufacturing cannabinoids and putting them into a, a form that is usable by the end customer, right? Sometimes it forms smoking, sometimes it's eating, sometimes it's a tincture, right? You put it under yep. your tongue. And so regardless of the of the form, this cannabinoid manufacturing process is going to have different ways to skin the cat. If you're, for instance, in what we like to call this intermediate step is, is derivatives, right? So if you're going to try to create okay. a derivative that is terpenes, right? Terpenes are going to be the aromatic component of the cannabis plant. And a lot of times gives the, the flavor associated with, especially in a vape pen application. You can also be used for a dilutant and you know, to get the viscosity appropriate for a vape pen. If you're going to make terpenes and you want to isolate terpenes specifically, there's a couple different ways to do it. One of those ways is CO2. CO2 in, in a subcritical or lower temperature, lower pressure kind of environment is fantastic mm-hmm. at pulling out terpenes directly from the plant material without a lot of the fats and waxes and chlorophyll and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. However, on the flip side, ethanol is terrible at pulling out terpenes. Now, I should clarify that. It's really, really mm-hmm. good at pulling out terpenes it's really, really bad at giving them up, right? Oh, interesting. So it, 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 likes, <laughs> it will get them out of the plant. get them out of the plant, then, uh, right? It just yeah. doesn't want to give them up. They want to keep them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you find ethanol is a, is a very poor solution for terpenes, right? However, ethanol is probably 10 times faster than CO2 when it comes to just your, your bulk cannabinoid derivative manufacturing, right? So if you're trying to get crude oil, ethanol is, is a way, way faster solution, right? Much more efficient, much more effective at pulling stuff out, mm-hmm. right? CO2, on the other hand, it can and pull cannabinoids out. It's slower, right? But if you look at this from a business standpoint, this is the kind of conversation we would have with a customer. Yeah. Right? If you look at it from a business standpoint, if you're, you know, in a in a new medical market that's relatively, you know, nascent and just getting started, a CO2 machine might make a lot of sense because it can give you the ability to capture these terpenes. You can mm-hmm. also utilize it to, to capture crude oil, be it much less efficient than ethanol. Mm-hmm. But because you don't have a, a huge market, you don't have a lot of material, the CO2 system can give you the capability to produce as many different derivative products, end products for the, the dispensary shelves. You can produce a wider array of products because you've got more flexibility through CO2. Then, once you're ready to expand the marketplace, you can get another CO2 system, you can upgrade your CO2 system, or what a lot of people like to do, supplement that CO2 process with ethanol, right? Now, instead of utilizing your CO2 equipment to do terpenes and cannabinoids, utilize it to do a higher volume of terpenes and shift the cannabinoid extraction to ethanol, right? Run ethanol to, uh, to get just that uh. stuff. So now you're producing your crude oil, your, your main cannabinoid extractions, uh, and subsequent refinements through an ethanol platform. And you're using your CO2 platform that you started your business with to extract the terpenes. And then you can do recombination of the terpenes and, and the extracted oil or the distillate or whatever it is mm-hmm. downstream, mm-hmm. right? So now, you know, the conversation isn't, your question was, you know, why, tell me why CO2 versus ethanol, right? Yeah. And the reality is it's up to the business owner and the business owner's 
capital conditions and their business environment, how much material they have, the licensing situation, the regulations. It's not up, it's not up to me as the equipment manufacturer to tell you that CO2 is better than ethanol. Yeah. It's up to me to tell you why CO2 might make more sense for your specific condition than ethanol, right? Hydrocarbons is another great conversation. Hydrocarbons are great at extracting terpenes. They're particularly good at creating a lot of the very popular recreational dabable products. So, okay. you know, you, you get into the all the different types of honeycomb and shatter and those types of, mm-hmm. of dabable products that are very popular in the recreational market. Yeah. Hydrocarbons are probably the best at producing that. Now, can you do it with ethanol? Yeah. Can you do it with CO2? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't do it as good. You can't do it as fast. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, if you're in a recreational market, you might might say, okay, well, I think I'm going to start with a hydrocarbon solution because that's where the most of the popular products are. Mm-hmm. But, oh, by the way, another category that's extremely popular is vape pens. So I can start with a hydrocarbon solution and then get a CO2 to back it up, right? Take my hydrocarbon, my hydrocarbon mm-hmm. extract, the derivative output from the hydrocarbon, supplement it with the terpenes from CO2, and now I can create dabable products and vape pens, right? So, Interesting. So there's pros and cons of each one of these methods. And it's, it's wrong to say that any one of those methods can do all all the things better than everything else. Yeah. There are some things that it's better at. There's some things that it's worse at. And just because it's worse at, it doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. And that's where that's a trap a lot of people fall into. Just yep. because CO2 isn't as efficient as ethanol doesn't mean it's a bad decision. You just have to, to understand the complications, right, and the trade-offs yeah. that come yeah. from, you know, having a, a lower efficiency process in order to give you the benefit of terpenes in a, in a wider array of end products. Yeah. So yeah. we're really shifting our conversation away from the technology. Right, you know the technology is what it is. You know the sweat's there, and helping customers develop their business plan. Yeah, and so so all of this has been from an extraction. You know what you can extract at what efficiency, what speed, things like that. Talk to me about kind of total cost of ownership. You know, in terms of equipment costs, complexity of management, maintenance, operational complexity, risks, things like that. Because I know each one of these has kind of different profiles when it comes to how you need to maintain and operate, and you know. Other than the, the pure kind of chemical extraction process, kind of the broader picture of what does it mean to own one of these pieces of equipment? Sure. Yeah, that's generally it's pretty expensive. <laughs> I guess yeah. is probably the best way to say it. Yeah. You know, there really isn't a cheap way to get into to this side of the game. Yeah. But it, it's the expenses come in different places, right? And again, yeah. it's more pros and cons. Yeah. So, you know, let's start with CO2. CO2, for instance, because it's non-flammable, doesn't mm-hmm. require some of the, the facility expense that a, yeah. an explosive solvent like hydrocarbons, propane and butane, would mm-hmm. have. Right, so CO2 can go into an environment that, you know, basically like an office or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it has to have a little bit of monitoring for the CO2 levels because it's an asphyxiant. It can yeah. cause suffocation. Yeah. But other than that, you don't have to have the fire marshal come in and do all these inspections and class one, division one, explosion proof facility. Yeah. Hydrocarbons, you know, the equipment is a little bit cheaper or sometimes a lot cheaper compared to CO2. But mm-hmm. where it starts to get a lot more expensive is in the facility side. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so the cost of ownership is going to be different depending on which technology you choose to do and also which technology you choose to supplement with down the road, right? It gets back to that business plan conversation. If you're limited uh, on capital, then, you know, a lower, a lower cost piece of equipment like hydrocarbon or ethanol can get you into the extraction business, but you cannot forget about that, that very large facility expense. Yeah. So you may find that a smaller scale CO2 system is a better way to go overall because you don't have to incur that facility capitalization expense. Yeah. Conversely, right, if, if you're going into a pretty well-established market, 
you know, you can get the equipment in there, you can get it, you can get it, the facility going, all that kind of stuff. And you won't, most likely, you won't have a lot of problem with the inspectors, right? This is another cost that, that people tend to forget about or overlook. Mm-hmm. The, the cost of inspection can be huge from the standpoint that it, they don't have to actually pay the inspector. But if the inspector is nervous about a class yeah. one, division one explosion proof environment, because all they've seen on the news is explosions and fires, right? Oh, that geez, thing that happened yeah. in LA a month or two ago yeah. at the storage was that wasn't even an extraction facility, but extraction facilities got a bad name, mm-hmm. right? Because they were, they were improperly storing or illegally storing butane canisters for open blasting, yeah. right? And so that type of news makes it out there. And in particularly in new markets that are coming online, the, the regulators and the fire inspectors, you you know, they're not familiar. They're afraid of it. Yeah. So you may find that you can afford to get a class one division one facility and a hydrocarbon extraction system. But if you can't get the fire chief to say, yep, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> then you're it's dead a, in the water. dead in the water. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it's, it's another cost of ownership. It isn't actual dollars, but rather I'd call it opportunity cost. Yeah. Do you find that part of this complexity is that different you know, different states, different localities have different kind of regulatory parameters around it for these different technologies, which may, so part of this conversation is, well, where are you going to put this thing? And based on that, you may actually go with different technologies because of this issue. It's like, well, you know, look, this area, you know, in order to build out something with a hydrocarbon base, like the requirements, the the process, the complexity is going to make it prohibitive just because of the contact, not because of the extraction technology, but because you're, you're not going to be able to economically get this thing up and running. Yep. It's a huge burden. Yeah. creates a big challenge for our customers. You know, we, we try to guide them along, but yeah, if they haven't spent their, if they haven't done their homework and spent their yeah. time to get to know the local regulators and the local inspectors, then that's a huge red flag. We, we always encourage them to go do that. But yeah. there is another piece to it that, okay, so at the end of the day, the fire chief can't say no just because, Yeah. right? They have to have a reason. And a lot of times those reasons are, well, it's not certified, right? The equipment, it doesn't have the proper certifications, it doesn't have the proper stamping from like UL, for instance. And so that's another piece mm-hmm. That you would try to walk the customers through. Getting equipment from China is probably the best example, right? And not all Chinese equipment is uh, garbage. And some of it is. But a lot of times, yeah. Chinese equipment won't come with the proper certifications, right? And yeah. when the industry was starting up 10 years ago or so, certifications were very difficult to come by. UL, in particular, Underwriters Laboratory, they didn't have, mm-hmm. a, they didn't have a standard already in place that you could say, okay, this is how extraction equipment needs to be constructed, tested. This is what the operating manual looked like, all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. it took a long time for that to happen, but just last year it happened. UL 1389 is specifically you know, the standard for cannabis extraction equipment. Got right. It. So now, okay, here we look, we're in a situation where it's no longer this kind of nebulous, the fire chief has to decide whether this thing's safe or not. There's actually a, you know, a standards body UL mm-hmm. has created a standard. It took them about probably two and a half, maybe three years to actually develop it. They created a standard. So this is how you properly build and operate hydrocarbon extraction equipment. This is how you build and operate ethanol CO2, right? Now there's a standard and we actually shipped through Delta Separations. We actually shipped the first UL 1389 approved piece of equipment in the world just last week. So now we're in a position where fire chiefs, fire inspectors can actually look for the UL stamp and say, oh, it's been approved by UL. It's built to those standards. That makes me feel much better. Yeah, UL, UL 1389 was, was created last year and put in place, and Delta Separations uh, just shipped our first ethanol extraction system, the first one in the world that conforms to UL 1389. So now fire chiefs, fire inspectors can look for this UL 1389 stamp Mm-hmm. And say, hey, okay, this is great. This thing has been approved. It's been certified by somebody other than me. Mm-hmm. 
to be safe, right? And that's the biggest problem. You, you got to give the fire chiefs, fire inspectors, you know, a little bit of a pass from the standpoint that their job is to keep the thing from burning down, right? They don't want to allow an explosion in, in their community to kill people, right? Yeah. And so that's a tough job. Hey, you know, go into every single manufacturing facility and, and understand every single technology that you could ever possibly be faced with and determine whether or not it's dangerous. Yeah. That's a pretty daunting job, especially in some of these smaller communities where the fire chief's making, you know, 50 or 60 grand a year. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, he's not an engineer. He's not a technologist technology expert. He's a fire chief, right? So the certifications like UL 1389 now give the fire chief essentially a rubber stamp, right? Look for Mm -hmm. this thing. You will know that it's safe, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, unfortunately that wasn't, that hasn't been in place for very long. It's going to take a little bit of time for it to come around. But as we push more and more UL 1389, sorry, UL 1389 equipment out into the world, more and more fire chiefs and inspectors are going to expect to see it. Yeah. And so from a yeah. customer standpoint, right, you're, it's almost like buying insurance, right? You're, mm-hmm. You know at some point in time, even if it's not in the first time around, if the fire chief changes hands and the new guy comes out, that guy might expect it. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're, we really want to make sure that the customers are looking, hey, yeah, you can get that piece of equipment from China cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't have these standards that people are going to be looking for, you run the risk of having to basically take that piece of equipment out yeah. And replace it later. Yeah. You could get shut down. I mean, and, and, exactly. and not be able to operate for a period of time. Yep. I mean, that's the bigger one. Exactly. Interesting. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, as this industry kind of matures and evolves, you know, I think these are the kind of things we're seeing across the board, right? Like standards are starting to come into play, best practices, you know, we're kind of moving from the, you know, a little bit of the uh, crazy early stage, you know, we take high risk to look, we really need to kind of, you know, make this stuff operationally consistent and, you know, de-risk the situations. Tell me about the business side, you know, as as you've gone through this process of the acquisitions and changing the position as you work with customers and stuff, how has it gone for for you? Like, what, what are the things that you've had to learn about yourself and, you know, kind of shifting your focus and time and strategy? I know, because when we last spoke, it was, you know, it was very clear you are an expert in, in CO2 extraction. I mean, are you still, I mean, I guess, how have you kind of maintained your technical expertise, but also now looking more kind of company strategy and bringing together these different organizations? Talk to me about the shifts you have to make. Yeah, so calling myself an expert in CO2 extraction is probably the scratch, as strange as that may sound. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I am an engineer by training, but, you know, welding engineering. You know, I actually came at, at Apex from a fabrication background. So, you know, I'm not a chemical engineer. And, you know, I've learned how to do CO2 extraction and do all kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, there's there's the kind of a base. Yep, so, yeah, the, you know, the old uh, management philosophy of surrounding yourself with, with people that are smarter or, or better than you <laughs> will you know, propel the company forward. And that's really the the approach that I've tried to take. Right now, we've got we've got six engineers here at Apex and seven engineers at Delta that uh, you know make for some pretty incredible horsepower towards innovation and, and really driving our innovation engine or our, you know creating the inertia wheel, mm-hmm. as Jim Collins likes to call yeah. it, from good to great. So you know we've got a lot of that inertia going now from from just volume with thirteen engineers pushing on you know innovations and technology is is pretty incredible. But you know from a business standpoint, this is some crazy times right now with with the COVID yeah. stuff and the impact from COVID going on. And it's compounded in the cannabis industry by, you know, what is a, a pretty big slowdown, right? And a lot of people are kind of surprised to hear that sometimes. My parent company in particular yeah. is is surprised to hear that. Because if you watch the news, you know, the, the news will generalize the industry and say the cannabis industry is continuing to grow, right? Because of things like cannabis, almost every medical and recreational dispensary 
were deemed essential businesses yep. through the initial COVID stuff, right? People are, are stuck at home and there's a lot of anxiety. And so there were, there's a big uptick in the amount of medical marijuana being purchased and recreational as well. So, you know, for the, for the same reason, people are just sitting home. So the end consumer demand in the marijuana space continues to grow. Now, the CBD side took a big hit because of, you know, FDA regulations and or unregulations, if you want to yeah. call it that. But nonetheless, you know, one of the biggest problems that's going on right now in the equipment side of the space is access to capital. Yeah. So because the SAFE Act really got put on hold because of, of COVID, that put a big damper on the ability to get capital through banking solutions and things like mm-hmm. that. Last year, Canadian cannabis stocks took a big dump. Yeah. And so, you know, the bubble burst on that side. So now you've, you've got private investors that are, are leery of going into the cannabis space because the bubble burst. Access to capital isn't there because the, the SAFE Act got put on hold. And demand is increasing, right? So you can kind of see the writing on the wall here that these these existing operators that are, they're going to become resource limited. They're not going to have enough manufacturing capacity to keep up with demand. And something's got to give, right? Either the banks are going to have to get some loans, private investors are going to have to come back into the game. In the meantime, it's it's been pretty tough for all of the equipment manufacturers across the board that are serving the cannabis space, right? It, not just Apex, not Delta, but all of the guys, our competitors, right? We're all seeing a very, very similar crunch right now due to this kind of conundrum that we're having in the space. Yeah. The difference between Apex Supercritical from two years ago when we talked and Apex Supercritical, which is now part of Gibraltar's processing solutions, is volume, right? Now we've got a billion-dollar corporation yeah. saying, hey, you know, look, you guys are having a rough time. We get it. No big deal, right? Keep innovating. Yeah. Keep growing yeah. and keep investing in yourselves. Whereas as a private company, we would have had to say, oh, well, uh, you know, we, we got to put all this stuff on yeah, hold. Exactly. We got to lay some people yeah. off. You know, I got to cut my salary. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, because, you know, you just don't have the, the resources to be able to, to weather this type of storm. Yeah. So hindsight being 2020, when I said, hey, I, I was talking to my <laughs> yeah. wife and I was like, hey, you know, I think it's time to, you know, pull the trigger on this acquisition yeah. thing. And are you sure? You, what, you know, what are you going to yeah. do? You're going to give up your baby and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I kind of came around to the, the conclusion that I'm really not giving up my baby. I'm just sending her off to college. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the next right? stage. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And again, hindsight being 2020, it's turned out to be, you know, probably one of the best yeah. decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Well, given given how things have played out, yes, it's definitely, I can see the strategic advantage of being well-backed, well capitalize, you know, good balance sheet, you know, you can continue to innovate and be ready for whether it's 12 months, 24 months for when things really start kind of picking back up. And when that demand is there, you'll have the products, you'll have the capabilities, you'll have the inventory. So good. Right, yeah. right. And I, and I felt, you know, we, we talk, you know, even though we're competitors in the space, you know, we still talk a lot of the, the people that we work closely with, I've worked closely with for a long time. We even manufacture some components for some of our, our you know, competitive technology companies. Yeah. And, you know, man, I, I got to tell you, I feel bad. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I really do. I, they're they're struggling. You know, they're like, man, I, you know, bank account's low and, and I can't get customers to make the second half payment. Well, and how do you think, I mean, is this is this going to drive further consolidation? I mean, are, are you, I mean, I guess in terms of your acquisition strategy, is this uh, now sort of accelerate things for you in terms of finding some of these companies that have great assets but don't have the balance sheet to be able to, to do what you're doing that become acquisition targets? Or, or are you kind of just letting the industry kind of sort itself out and then, you know, waiting to see where, where the opportunities are? We kind of put everything on hold. So, you know, from a large corporate standpoint, you know, another fantastic thing that I just, I can't thank the company enough for, Gibraltar made the decision when COVID started back in March, 
March, Gibraltar made the decision that nobody's getting laid off. They got 2,400 employees, yeah. and they said nobody's getting laid off. Right? We're not going to impact the economy even worse by putting these people out on yeah. the street. So they made a commitment to all of the employees across the, the entire umbrella of 42 or 43 different companies and said nobody gets laid off. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, that put our acquisition strategy on yeah. hold. Right? So they wanted to preserve cash to be able to make sure we could you know weather the storm. Uh, and they've they've got you know there's 100 110 million dollars in the balance yeah. sheet. So you know there's plenty of cash, but they didn't want to go and, and buy you know 50 yeah. or million dollars worth of companies at the same time. Yeah. So that that put it on hold. Now that that's starting to ease up, and we're starting to see, hey, this is you know this thing's gonna it's not going to go away, but it also isn't going to have this you know awful impact we initially planned for. Yes, we're back on track to get the, the acquisitions going, right? And so at the end of the day, business standpoint, it actually kind of looked, wasn't planned, but it's looking like it was a good choice to put it on hold because the, the equipment companies that can weather this storm as a private company mm-hmm. are the companies that are solid, yeah. right? And they're the ones that are good acquisition targets, not because they might be cheap or you can get them in a bargain. That's that's really not the purpose or the point here. It's that they've been able to weather the storm. They've yeah. got, they've got a good enough brand. They've got a good enough management team. They've got a good enough product to be able to... To, to weather a storm like this. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good, it's kind of um, a sorting, <laughs> the, the, the industry exactly. kind of sorting itself out. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Uh, this has been great. Andy, if people want to find out more about you, about the new businesses, what's the best way to get that information? So I am Andy J, Andy YJ at apexsupercritical.com. And uh, you can always find us at our website, Apex Supercritical. You can also find us through Delta Separations, which is uh, the most recent acquisition. And, uh, you know, keep watching us. We're going to have some more coming here pretty soon. Awesome. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we'll do another episode. Episode when you do the next round, and we can we can keep the conversation going. Yeah, it's great to catch up. I you know interesting how things have kind of played out. I'm excited for you and kind of the new opportunities, and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Yep, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.